it well to center field. Deion Sanders going back to the wall, and it is gone. Bo Jackson over. Thank you for downloading and or streaming our newest episode of Infinity Sports. Now, if you came looking for the FBAS podcast because you missed last week's episode, you found it. We've just rebranded ourselves as Infinity Sports, and we've been doing this now. This is our second episode. What do you guys think of the new label? I love the new digs. You know, it's always nice to get a new outfit. I think the image that you created, Wayne, you should be very proud. It embodies everything that we try and do, all the athletes that each us three love. And the Infinity Sports is going to help us encompass more than just one small community that we all kind of started in and help us blow up to so much more. So we thank you all for the momentum that helped us get to this point. Yeah, I love it. Feels good to get a new name and like Jesse said, some new digs, a nice new logo that's like he said, props to you, Wayne. That's some great work. I think it just gives us a, a wider audience. It's a more visually appealing logo. It's just a better sounding name. I really enjoy it. It's a good move forward for us, I think. Now, just because we're called Infinity Sports, does that mean you should try to find us for show of the month under Infinity Sports? The vote is still going on under Facebook All Sports. So when you visit the rtfsportsnetwork.com and you go to vote for show of the month, continue voting for Facebook All Sports. It's a big lead, but we're at the finish line. And I don't want any sneaky surprises with somebody getting four or 500 votes uh, last minute. Yeah, boys and girls, if you guys want to take part in the biggest massacre to date, then go ahead and jump on the rtfsportsnetwork.com, hit that top banner, vote for the Facebook All Sports, our former name, our old outfit, and now you can see how much we're crushing it by, and you can be part of that party. First and foremost, we're very, very thankful, extremely appreciative for all the support we have gotten, but like they both mentioned, we don't want any surprises. You got to keep the foot on the throat and just get down there and finish it off. So we would really appreciate any more votes you got, and thank you very much, guys. One of the things that RTF Sports is trying to do right now is continue to grow their brand, which is going to help us grow our brand as well. We are going to be on XM Radio at some point, iHeartRadio, Roco TV. But the big thing as it pertains to Infinity Sports is the blog section of the website. When you visit, it's going to say blogs are now live. You can read them. You can click on blogs and read what's there. I think there's about 16 or 17 on there right now, and they cover a broad range of topics. I believe I've submitted about six of those, and they range anything from general baseball stuff to in-depth stories about people you may not remember or may not have heard. And we're going to talk to one of those bloggers today at the end of the show about some of the controversial stuff that he's posted. But definitely check out the blog section and you can comment under every blog. Let us know what you think. Oh, Sully, listen to Wayne being humble. I've put out maybe six or seven of these. He's put out maybe 15 or 16 of the 17 total. Guy's a machine. He just pumps them out. He's getting out like two a day now. 
and they're great quality. Regardless of if you agree with his positions or not, I usually don't agree with his positions, but that doesn't mean I don't uh, dislike the reads. I mean, they're great. They're not just going out there on a limb just to go out there on a limb. The guy backs it up, so get him out there, give him a shot, and give all of them a shot. Even uh, Brandon Combs, you know, the guy we're going to speak to later, he's got a good blog out. Again, you'll hear the debate at the end of the show. When we talk to him, I don't agree with, with the take, but again, it's a great read, and, the, and you guys should get up on that. Now, Wayne, I don't want to steal any of your blog's thunders, but one of your more recent ones, it does touch on a guy that's been to a couple national championship games, huh? It does. My newest one is called Overhyped, and it's all about Trevor Lawrence and how I believe that. And I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback, and I point that out at the end of the blog as well. I say it. he's a very good quarterback. I just don't think he's as good as everybody else thinks he is. To me, he's not the next coming of Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. He's going to be a solid guy, but not quite as what he's hyped up to be. So you took a bunch of shots at him with like a a shotgun and then you gave him a sticker that somebody would get at like a dentist office at the very end of your blog. If you mean in taking shots as in providing facts, I did just that. Yes. That's all that Wayne does, huh, Sully? I mean, this is the one I strongly disagree with. (laughs) I don't think he actually backs this one up in the best way possible. I do agree that Trevor Lawrence regressed last season from what we saw him. However, I don't think that takes away from his overall ceiling. The guy's still far and away one of the better quarterback prospects I've ever seen, I've ever graded. Personally, I still do have Andrew Luck ahead of him, but I mean, Trevor Lawrence could easily surpass that with this next season, but I think he deserves every comment and every mention to be in that same breath. From Wayne, our blog expert, to Sully, our draft expert, if Trevor Lawrence happened to be in this past year's draft, is he the first one taken? Yes. Hands down. Over Joe Burrow in his historic year, huh? Yeah, because... Trevor Lawrence has been hyped for two years and Burrow was hyped for one. So it's kind of like teams right now are dying to get their hands on Trevor Lawrence and they have been since, you know, last year's college football playoff. Yeah, it's just like Wayne mentioned. Trevor Lawrence has been doing it for a long time. Not only his first two years in college, his, he, he, you know, the Elite 11 camp he absolutely destroyed and he, sh- he balled out there and teams kind of saw like his competitive nature and his actual drive and things like that there. And like his longevity, which, you know, he's only been here for two years, but his, his seasons of actually doing it more, I think, would, would allow him to go first. Plus his ceiling is much higher. Like Joe Burrow, we've kind of seen the best of him. We know what he's going to be kind of thing. I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, the, the, the ceiling's the absolute limit for the kid. So. Oh, and that Trevor Lawrence hair flow, bro. I mean, I think he's the NFL's dream. He's marketable. He's clean-cut kid. He's never gotten into any trouble. He's got a big arm, a great smile. I think the NFL is really going to fall in love with this kid. Sully may have to write his own blog to oppose yours, Wayne. I would, except it'd be too easy at this point, so... Well, the past five weeks, we've been discussing The Last Dance on ESPN. It's basically consumed all of our time. And now it's nice to kind of branch out and talk about some other topics. But we're still going to talk about The Last Dance right off the bat because what we've learned since The Last Dance ended is that Michael Jordan is a big, fat liar. Nothing he says is true. In fact, I think he won zero MVPs. He only told us that he won some. Wayne loves him some drama. He couldn't wait for this to come out back when we watched it in the episode. I remember sitting here recording with you guys, and he wanted this to actually... He's like, no, I want him to tell you guys that he kept him off the team. I want that. And, you know, Jordan was, in my opinion, the better man on tape and said, no, you know, it wasn't me that kept him off. I think we all know that it wasn't just Jordan that kept him off. You know, that list includes guys like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, 
and Scottie Pippen, guys that had a ton of pull for that 1992 Dream Team. So to paint it all on on Michael Jordan and to say that the documentary could just be 10 episodes of lies is crazy. I know that Wayne wants to question everything he's seen now because that's the comical character he can be. That's not what we saw. We saw his dominance portrayed in a way that we've never seen before. We saw unreleased audio and video. Him sobbing him hitting shots, him in the locker room. So I don't take anything from this documentary away, but just pure joy, excitement, and memories. The one lie, I don't put a lot of stock into. Honestly, it, would they have won any larger against those teams in 1992 with Isaiah Thomas on the team? I don't think so. Well, we think it's one lie. I think more are going to come out, Jesse. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg and more things are going to fall. And, you know, Horace Grant said a lot of it's a lie. Scottie Pippen doesn't like the way he portrayed and thinks he was misrepresented, which is just another term for lie. Again, I don't think it takes anything away from the documentary. I think what we watched was pure entertainment. I mean, it was amazing. Ten weeks of just shock and awe of what we were seeing in in such a good way. I don't think that this lie takes anything away from that. I still think it's a great documentary. If you went into this thinking it wasn't going to be how Jordan wanted it to be, then you're very naive. He produced it. He was the driving force behind it. Of course, it's going to make himself look good. However, the guy lied. The guy's a liar, plain and simple. We know he's a liar. He lied about, God, who was the player they mentioned where he says he said something to him at the end of the game, and then he went off and dogged the guy. The Bradford Smith. Bradford. Yeah, and... Yeah, the Bradford Smith. And he he never said a fucking word to him. So Jordan's a known liar. He's going to do what he has to do. I don't see anything wrong with that. However, I just think it's more entertainment and really cool. You know, I agree with Wayne. I wish he would have fucking had the balls to say it on the show. I get why he didn't, but I think it would have been more entertaining for him to say it then. What do you think, Wayne? I think it would have been, that's what I was looking forward to. I mentioned it on the podcast because I think I actually, when I brought it up, I said, did you know Michael Jordan kept Isaiah off the dream team? And I think you guys are like, oh, no shit. And then, yeah, I had no idea. And then when it comes out, Shame. I was like, I look like a dummy. Like, a, I look like the liar because he was like, oh, I never said it. <laughs> yeah. So, but it turns out Michael Jordan was the liar. And what I love that Jesse did in this whole thing is like, I am a, great debater and i should write a book about it someday but one of the tactics i use in my debates that jesse's using here is called redirection and what that is, is when somebody has a better argument than you you redirect to make it sound like they're saying something that they're not so jesse's bringing up this one point like i'm saying that i'm offended that isaiah thomas was kept off the team but i'm gonna reiterate my point just to make sure we're clear i'm saying jordan is a liar he's been accused of lying since this came out and this is just proof of one of the lies which makes me think it's the tip of the iceberg if you get told that somebody carries around pennies in their pocket and you say, no, they don't. And then one penny falls out. Don't you kind of think there's more pennies in that pocket? Is this really the first time that you're seeing pennies fall out of MJ's pocket, though, Wayne? I mean, this guy has been nothing but a bad guy in some people's eyes, you know, even early on in his career, you know, hanging around with Slim Bowler and he was lying about that. He's been lying about his activity outside of his gameplay on the court for a long time. And the fact that this time it connected another player that we have to remember this player, he, he made his own bed and he has to lay in it. Isaiah Thomas had the opportunity to be a better man and to shake Michael Jordan's hand and shake the rest of the Chicago Bulls hands after they got beat in 1991 and Isaiah Thomas chose not to. Him and that team walked off the court. He's a schmuck and he had a lot of beef with a lot of players on that squad. He was rightfully kept off that squad. His own coach didn't fight for him. That I want to hear. I'm really glad you brought that up because the audio that comes out says I'm not playing for that fucker and then it says Chuck doesn't want him on the team. 
Now, if Chuck Daly didn't want Isaiah Thomas, I think that's the bigger thing that's completely getting blown by and nobody's at, nobody's talking about it at all because Jordan lied. I think Chuck Daly maybe coming out and saying, I didn't want Isaiah Thomas on this team is one of the bigger talking points because Isaiah Thomas is supposedly his boy. So maybe this Isaiah Thomas beef goes deeper than we think. But again, a masterful job at redirection, Jesse, because it doesn't discount from the point that Jordan is lying. And, it, and it's more so, I think, of we watched this documentary we were all on the edge of our seats and now it's not tainted I I will never say that but how much of it is true you know does this turn into a real documentary or is this one of those National Geographic mermaid documentaries that they portray as a real documentary you know what I mean oh we found evidence of mermaid you know but it's fucking fake like how much of this was actually just Michael's head and Michael's story and not actually the real story now again that doesn't take from away how entertaining it was but it does make you question just how deep to the lies go so i know you like numbers Sully. mj you your argument was he actually deserved and should have won five of those six regular season mvps correct i mean i think he deserved all of them all right so, I, I, do, I mean he probably deserved the charles barkley and the carl malone one too so he, so he could have won six regular season mvps and then we go even more in that direction you know we want to go on numbers i've got numbers to back up you say oh well is this really just uh, a 10 episode smear campaign is it something that michael jordan just painted like he's bob ross and no that that's not the case you said it yourself in these episodes that we've recorded that he kept so many hall of famers away from championships you're not going to question that right you're not going to question Greatness. Nobody's questioning how good he was or anything docu- like that. That's what this documentary was. What were you hoping to get out of this thing? This documentary. No, was, it wasn't. This documentary was specifically the '98 season, season. The career of this guy, and we watched it, and we were we were in awe. But as soon as it ended, let's tear it apart. Let's pick it apart. Because what else is he lying about? Yeah, pick apart the documentary. Nobody's picking apart Jordan. Like we all still think yeah. Jordan's amazing, and we and actually the do- documentary was fantastically entertaining. Like Dan said, a great example. Like you said, the mermaid thing. I think of when they did Shark Week. They did a megalodon. Like is the megalodon so alive? Yes. Exactly. And I, Perfect. I bought yeah. it hook, line, and sinker, by the way. <laughs> and then it'll. Yeah, me too. That's. <laughs> a, I think it's a real documentary, and it's not. And then, you know? I, and like I said, I'm not saying that Jordan 90% of it's false. What I'm saying is that after it came out, a bunch of people came out and said he lied about stuff. I didn't believe them when they said it because I thought it was just them being sour about how they were portrayed. But now that lies are starting to come out, I'm thinking maybe all of them are telling the truth, not MJ. Like, specifically, Jesse. I'm not taking anything away from Michael, but, like, you know, when they say Michael would punk a lot of players and practices and be a bully and things like that. Well, Horace Grant has come out and said that's really not that true. Yeah, he'd punk certain players, but the most of the players would not let it happen. So just little things like that that just aren't lies, which, I mean, I expected. Again, I expected it to happen because it's Jordan's point of view. And I'm not taking any of the greatness away from the guy. I mean, he's still a god. He literally walks on water. But, I mean... What else was embellished? Maybe not lied. What else was embellished? That's all. I just would like to know. Not that it ruins it for me. I just like to know what else was embellished. I'll give you an example of two things. I think one thing that shouldn't have been in the documentary at all is the Scottie Pippen wanting to sit out on a certain play. Completely disagree. That Completely disagree. That. That didn't take place in 1998. That didn't take place when Michael Jordan was on the team. So he didn't have to shame the greatest teammate that he had in that way. And a way that he could have embellished and maybe and probably did is the food poisoning game. I think we all had questioned whether he was sick or not leading up to that. I'm pretty sure that it was a hangover. I think this guy you know, had a very heavy drinking night and he went out there with a hangover. Yeah, see, and I mean, if you believe that too, then that's kind of just what I'm saying is like, what else did he embellish? It doesn't take anything away from it. You know, honestly, I still think the pizza story is fucking entertaining. But, you know, was it the truth? 
Who knows? And I'd just like to know. I don't think it's going to take anything away from the doc. It was still amazing. You guys must really feel strong. You know, we saw what Michael Jordan did just to make enemies. And the fact that you guys on air, on the large audience of the Infinity Sports podcast, you guys are going to poke the bear and Michael Jordan. I can't believe you two. I mean, if Michael Jordan makes this or listens to this, I will gladly and honorably make his the list. We know he's listening. Join, <laughs> join us whenever you want, MJ. No, I don't want your lies on the show, MJ. You stay home. <laughs> yeah, the master debater doesn't want you. Now, this kind of leads into the fact that ESPN's follow-up documentary series is going to be next season or next year, 2021, and it's going to be called Man in the Arena, all about Tom Brady. Now, at first, as a Patriots fan, super psyched to see this. Love the idea of seeing this. And I know that Tom Brady did his whole Tom Brady little five-part miniseries that he did a couple years ago, and it was entertaining to see him at home, to see him with Giselle, to see him practicing. The thing that I think I'm going to miss watching this is that Unlike The Last Dance, Phil was very open because that's who he is. I don't think we're going to get any Belichick out of this. If we do, it's going to be press conferences and things like that. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to participate in this documentary. Not only do I agree, Wayne, that we won't get any Bill Belichick, I think it's way too soon. The fact that he could possibly still be playing in the year 2021, and we're going to be getting a, a documentary on, do we know if it's a particular season, his career up to this point? I don't think anybody really knows, and and we may find out details as it gets closer, but to me, as a Patriots fan, it's too soon. And the, I think one of the largest reasons that The Last Dance was such a success is that it took a large step away, it gave us time to breathe, and then boom, here's a story of 20 plus years ago of one of the greatest players, one of the greatest teams, one of the greatest dynasties. The fact that we're getting this so soon, I mean, I, I feel like I haven't even gotten a chance to separate from Tom Brady enough to enjoy this. I mean, Sully's just getting a chance to embrace him. Which is honestly like uh, the perfect storm. I'm not a big fan of the New England Patriots franchise only because I just hate when I can't win and other teams do. So I'm naturally just not going to like that. I want to see my team win, and I don't want to see the same team win over and over. So I have a disdain for the Patriots franchise. That being said, I obviously now love Tom Brady and welcome him to my franchise with open arms. And I agree, though. I I think it's going to miss a little bit because Belichick isn't as behind the scenes. Now, maybe Kraft will be kind of the same guy that Reinsdorf was because I think Kraft is very open and is willing to be. I think that could be a really cool aspect. But, I mean, just to be able to follow that dynasty around, I think it is going to be a very interesting watch. I'm really looking forward to it. Tom Brady's got a historical training regimen and a historical offseason program that it's renowned around the sporting world. So I'm interested to see if they go in depth beyond into that at all and, and how much they follow specifically just him around or team because, you know, this documentary, The Last Dance, was focused purely on like the 98 season. I don't know if this is focused purely on just Tom Brady, just a specific season, what it is, the timeline, things like that. But I'm really looking forward to it. I think another thing that we'll miss is we saw MJ and a lot of these other guys not just be brutally honest, but be able to be colorful, you know, kind of swear. And I'm not sure if Brady or the other guys that would partake in this, because some of them could certainly still be active or trying to get jobs on TV, would be as open, honest, and colorful as the people we saw, you know, take part in the Last Dance documentary. I disagree. I mean, I've seen Tom Brady swear quite a bit in some of his off the field stuff when they show video of him. When he did the five part miniseries, he said the F bomb. He dropped shit. He said all kinds of stuff. So I, I don't think he's going to hold back at all. And I don't think any, anyone would. The only thing is just Belichick not being part of the interview process. I'm sure Kraft will be, like you said, but I don't know how 
especially since he's still playing and everything's still going on, how deep and dark they're really going to get with Brady. Because what I want to hear, you show me a 12-second clip of Bill Belichick saying, I wanted to move on from Tom, and I traded Jimmy because that's what I was told to do. I'm in. You show me that clip, and I'm in. That should be the trailer for Wayne, then. Well, I mean, I think you said you disagreed with Jesse and said they won't be able to say certain things, and then you said that you don't think they'll be able to get dark and down with Tom Brady, and I think those points coincide. I think Jesse makes a great point. A lot of these guys are still going to be in the league and still playing, and I still think be able to face ramifications from the league. So they're not going to be able to leak anything that, like, clubhouse stuff or, like, what went on behind the scenes. We're not going to get the real story on Deflategate. We're not going to get the real story on Spygate, I don't think any of those things because they can still be facing ramifications it's not 25 years down the road like you know when Tom Brady's already in the Hall of Fame already got his bust up already kind of forgotten not forgotten but you know what I mean his playing days are forgotten and he can say anything he wants like Jordan can now and the Bulls players can now a lot of these guys are still going to be in the league they can't come out with we're all getting drunk before the Super Bowl and things like that you can't say that shit you know so I don't know yeah, it's like it all comes down to timing to me, and, and honestly, it's just too soon. So going from Tom Brady, we're going to transition into the NFL, who released its 2020-2021 schedule earlier in the month, and I got a chance to look through it, some of the matchups, and pretty excited, one, that the NFL schedule came out, and I know that we talked about this on previous podcasts, how the NFL is God, and how incredible is it that all this news is coming out about different things happening and different players and different sports, and the thing we get the most excited about is the NFL schedule is out. We can look at something that has the word NFL on it. Oh, absolutely. We know the NFL is king. We're a little late to the schedule release party, but we know all you guys and gals are still going to be excited to listen to our takes on what we think are going to be the best games throughout the upcoming season. You know, I do think the schedule release gets a little overblown, and I think it especially did this year because of everything that was going on. It's like this whole show, and ESPN does this whole countdown, and I actually fucking hate it, but I am very excited that it's back. I'm very excited that we have the NFL to talk about, because it's so much projections at this point. We have no idea, but man, it's still fun to just throw it around, and like Jesse said, NFL's king, baby. Yeah, right now when you have the virus that's taken over and we've got so little sports for us to be able to absorb, the fact that the schedule is going to come out and we can just sit there and project, and that's what we all do. We, we pull out our team schedule and we go, win, 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 uh, win, win, loss, maybe, win. We all do that. So, I Sully, I know you were doing that. You're getting excited with that Tampa Bay Buccaneers schedule. Oh, I mean, no doubt. It's a brand new season. It's a brand new time. And, you know, I think everybody's excited. I know Wayne's excited to see his boy Stidham bomb and totally fail in his first season. So I I think we're all just really excited to get it going. I am very excited to see the Patriots. And when I was doing my little win-win-loss-win thing on their schedule, it's funny because I had been predicting for months and months now on the podcast that they're going to finish the season 11-5. and And when I did my win-loss thing, I went down and I did not get 11-5. and I got 12-4. and of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to get 14 and 2, honestly. <laughs> 19 and 0. We're going to make up for it. <laughs> we never know with you, Wayne. Uh, of course, you had to pick more wins than any other team in the division. I'm sure you have the Patriots win the division again. Winning the division and winning the conference. Well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves into the postseason, but week one, I'll start us off here. I've got a game that probably isn't the one that some of you all would think I'm looking at in week one. But I'm actually looking at the Titans and the Broncos. And the reason I am is because the Titans, with Ryan Tannehill, the momentum they made as a team and as an organization, 
to beat the Patriots and possibly stay claim that they broke up Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and they they changed that team forever, they can do that. And so we're going to see how they're going to go into this upcoming season with that offense. And we're going to see the Broncos after they have not only committed to Drew Locke, but they have spent so much of their offseason adding to that offense with picks like Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. So I think they did so many good things for that offense that that's going to be a fun way for us to start that season with two offenses. I actually like that pick a lot. It's not the the normal pick, but I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch. I think the Denver Broncos are a team that's trending upwards. I'm not the biggest fan of Ryan Tannehill, and I actually think the Titans are in for a downswing. But like you mentioned, I think the Broncos' offense is really fun and exciting to watch. I like Phillip Lindsay a lot. I think Noah Fant's going to be a good player on that team, so that's going to be a fun game. My week one matchup, or the first matchup I want to highlight, is week one also, and it's the matchup I think everybody's going to talk about. It's the Bucks at Saints to start the season. I mean, it's arguably, not arguably, it is the two NFC favorites, I think, to come out or, and represent for the Super Bowl, and they're also division rivals, so I, I mean, this game's just going to set the tone for the season, I think, for both teams. We normally play them very well on the road, but I don't love that we're starting on the road. I think out of the first couple games, if this becomes our only loss, I'll be really excited and, and really happy with what we do. I don't think we're going to lose, but I, I mean, I'm really excited for it and obviously see what Tom Brady can do. Yeah, I think that Tom Brady in the division has never had a quarterback to face like Drew Brees. So the fact that he's going to have to face this type of quarterback twice this season is going to be a fun watch and it's probably going to be one of the highest rated games of this season. As a Patriots fan, my big thing is when I watch the Patriots games every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whenever they're on, I don't really care about watching any other games after that, but I found myself almost contemplating whether I want to get the NFL season package or whatever it is, just so I can watch all the Bucks games as well. I kind of thought you guys might. When this happened, I figured Tampa Bay would get a lot more fans, you know, and we have gotten a ton of bandwagon fans, obviously, but not more just fans, but more watchability and our ratings will go up just because a lot of people want to see us play now. You know, I mean, we're an interesting team. Now, Wayne, your first game may not be in week one, but what's the first game you're looking forward to? No, it is actually week one. My The first game I was looking forward to was the Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers because I do feel like the addition of DeAndre Hopkins to that Cardinals offense, I think Kyler Murray looking as good as he did in the second half of the season last year looks just really great. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's mobile. I like him a lot. I think he's actually, at the end of the day, going to be a better version of Russell Wilson. He's not now, and I'm not saying at the end of the season, but at the end of his career. And to see them start the season off against the defending NFC champions, I think is a, a great first week. Excellent matchup. Yeah, we are all very excited to see Cliff Kingsbury with that offense. Yeah, excellent pick. I I think that's such a fun matchup. I actually have that game highlighted in, I think they play week 16, because I think that may be a division, actually, like that game will matter for who wins that division. Yeah, it is. It's week 16, and I'm really excited because, like you said, I'm really high on the Cardinals this year. I think the addition of DeAndre Hopkins is going to be huge. I like what they did on defense, too. Adding Isaiah Simmons is just a a tiny piece. They also added Jordan Phillips, who I think is a really good run stuffer. A lot of things they did, I think they did really well. And I think they're going to challenge San Francisco for that division. And I think week 16 is going to be the ending point. But I think, obviously, like you said, week one is going to set the tone for both teams for that division. That's awesome that we're starting week one with three different games that we're all very much looking forward to. Sully, the next game I know you're looking forward to as a matchup of two recent MVPs. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, this is the first game that everybody's kind of got highlighted on their actual list. 
I mean, Chiefs at Ravens, Monday Night Football, Week 3. That game's going to be bananas. I mean, my thoughts on, on Lamar Jackson, I think, are known at this point. I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's due for a regression and a big one this season. However... He may not be, and at week three, he may still be lighting it up. I'm a huge Patty Mahomes fan, and I think the guy's the the next coming of the great one, and I think we're watching it happen in in real time. And so, obviously, that matchup's going to be huge. Wayne, what is your take on Lamar Jackson? I think Lamar Jackson is a superstar. I think that watching him at Louisville, I thought he was going to be a superstar because he wasn't just an option quarterback. So there's guys like, if you're not really a college football fan, you may not remember the name, but Denard Robinson played for Michigan. And he was a straight up wildcat quarterback. And he, they made him a running back when he got to the NFL, which is what they talked about doing with Lamar Jackson. But watching Lamar Jackson at Louisville, he could throw the football. He was throwing for 300 yards a game. He won the Heisman. And I actually wanted the Patriots to take him in that draft. But hey, we took Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle. So pfft. all right. Awesome. I really would have liked Lamar Jackson. And I think that he's on an upward trend that's going to continue upward. And I can see him winning multiple MVPs in his career. All right, so the next game that I'm actually looking forward to is going to be a couple weeks later, and that does involve a team that we've already spoken about in the Arizona Cardinals. I think in week six, we're going to see the Cardinals go at Dallas Cowboys and see two amazing offenses. And by this point, we're going to know which direction these teams are headed in in this upcoming NFL season. And, you know, just thinking about the weapons that the Cowboys were able to add with C.D. Lamb being added into an offense that already has Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and Dak Prescott, if he signs... Or it's going to be Andy Dalton throwing all those guys against, you know, Arizona Cardinals that, like Wayne has already mentioned, I'm a big fan of Kyler Murray. This guy is going to have a lot of weapons. Cliff Kingsbury loves to spread those guys out and score points. So I think that this week's six matchup is going to be just firepower. That is going to be an incredibly fun game to watch. I do like it. Like you said, a lot of offensive weapons, a lot of offense in that game. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a 42 to 37 game or something like that because all the receivers that Dallas has, the spread offense from Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray being able to throw the football the way he does. My only concern would be the Dallas Cowboys pass rush is solid and adding Alden Smith. We don't know what he's going to come back like, but if he comes back like old Alden Smith, that's going to be a really dangerous game for Kyler Murray. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know. I, I, I'm not in love with Dallas's pass rush, I think, as much as you are. And I don't believe Alden Smith can come back to what he was. I mean, I don't think the guy's played a snap in three years. It's tough to come back and play football after that long. However, if he does, he could be in trouble. Arizona is not known for having the best offensive line. So, We've mentioned two Arizona Cardinal games, and the defensive player you've mentioned, Wayne, isn't even on that team. Yet, they drafted just a superstar in Simmons, correct, Sully? Yeah, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to be a a crazy fun guy to watch for that defense, too. So, fun offense, fun defense. I think by week six, that's going to be a fun one. I will say that the game that I am the most excited about, the most jazzed about, has got to be December 25th, Friday. We have a Christmas Day NFL game. I don't know the last time it's happened, if it's ever happened, but I really hope Are you serious? 100% 100% serious. Minnesota Vikings at the Saints. So we've got two teams that are going to be contending at that point, And we don't have to watch fucking basketball. Fuck you, NBA. That's right. We don't have to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers and their shitbag team play against the Sacramento Kings as game four of a quadruple header. We can turn on the NFL on Christmas Day. Let's fucking go. That's what's, I had no idea that that was happening. That It's got to be. What the fuck? I've never heard of that. That's amazing. Let's go, NFL. 
Not only is the NFL cucking the NBA out of their huge holiday, but they are going to put a, a great game out there. I mean, the Vikings and Saints is not the Texans and the Titans. So I'm excited to see a matchup of two teams that have certainly had late season sparks in recent years. That's a great little point, Wayne, that I, I you snuck in there. That uh, takeover Christmas like they did Thanksgiving. Have a fucking triple header. Morning, afternoon, nighttime. Just fucking own the day. The morning game would be fantastic. Yeah. You got all the yeah, kids opening presents. Like, Shut up, kids. <laughs> Shut up, kids. Tom Brady's on. Daddy, will you help me put my bike together? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I need six more points from Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> I had uh, one more game on here that I had listed or circled was the September 17th game. It's the 100th birthday for the NFL, and they're going to have the Browns versus the Bengals. So we're going to get to see whether or not the Browns are for real for the third year in a row. They said they were for real. We'll find out. Probably not. And then you get the Bengals with Joe Burrow at quarterback. So two kind of potentially crappy teams, or it could be a fun matchup. Yeah, Mayfield versus Burrow could definitely be fun and an early season matchup that will definitely bring eyes to the screen, especially when this pandemic allows us to see football again. And I think it's kind of different that we're not hearing Baker Mayfield and we're not seeing his commercials a lot this offseason, huh, guys? You know, I mentioned this in an earlier pod we did. I have the Browns winning this division, and so I'm drinking the Kool-Aid again. I'm going to dive in and be a part of this bandwagon right here. So I actually do think this game's going to be really important. I think the Bengals are an up-and-coming team. I don't think they're going to be very good this year, but I do think it's going to be a fun game to watch, and it's going to mean a lot. Every one of these division games in the North I think is going to be very important because I think the Steelers are going to be a much better improved football team, especially if Ben Roethlisberger even is 80% of what he was. You know, obviously the Ravens are a decent ball club, and then I think the Browns are a really good football team, so I'm really interested to see this game. Looking over the schedule, do you guys have any potential Super Bowl matchups that you've already kind of planned out? My Super Bowl prediction is actually going to be the New Orleans Saints and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they don't get a chance to play in the regular season, which is perfect. We get to see two highly touted teams in either conference meet for in the Super Bowl, and I think it's going to be a great game. And I have the New Orleans Saints winning and giving Drew Brees his second ring on his way out. It's a very, I think, a likely matchup. Could see it happen. I think, you know, they're probably, I think they're the two favorites in each respective conference. So I could see it happening. I'm going to go a little kind of off the beaten path here. Obviously, not for the NFC. I'm taking my home team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think defensively, offensively, I think we're a really sound ball club, and I think we got a really good shot. On the AFC side, I'm going with the Indianapolis Colts. I know this is going to shock some folks. I think this is a really, really, really sound ball club and organization through and through. I don't think they're going to wow a lot of people and beat a lot of teams like impressively or things like that, but I think they're built to win ball games. They got an extremely good offensive line. They're going to run the football. Phillip Rivers, I think, is going to be a vastly improved player for that team. I think he's going to be a really needed veteran presence for that team. And I think they're going to go 12-4, and win that division, kind of have an easy road through the playoffs, and then shock the world and beat the Chiefs. I don't buy that offense to get to that point. I like Phillip Rivers. I think he's going to end up being a Hall of Famer. But for him to be able to click with that offense that I don't think has enough receiving threats, I don't see that for the Annapolis Colts. It's certainly shocking, and it would be crazy. And I would definitely tell you to put some money on it, Sully, because that would win you all kinds of buku bucks. Well, yeah, I just kind of want to defend myself a little bit there. You know, I do agree that 
Indianapolis, their offense isn't the best, but again, I don't think they're going to try to beat a lot of teams with offense. I think they're going to try to grind a lot of teams out. They were the seventh best team in rushing last year, and I think that's kind of what they're going to do continuously. I think they're just going to pound the rock down people's throats and just win a lot of 23 to 14 games and things like that. I just see them as a team that can win a lot of football games, not necessarily score a lot of points. I guess call it the homer in me, but my whole pick is I have Tampa Bay and I have the New England Patriots meeting in the Super Bowl, the dream matchup, mainly because it's just what I really want. Just like last year, I wanted the Patriots and the 49ers, and just like in the NCAA tournament uh, for basketball, I always choose Duke versus UNC in the finals, and it's never happened, but I'm going... I'm going with the Patriots and the Buccaneers, and it says I'm all in. I'm going all in, right? In for a penny, in for a pound. I'm going in. Patriots win the Super Bowl. Well, ratings, baby. Wow, you really, really – I mean, is Stidham's dick just placed inside of you at all times? Or, like, I just don't understand it. You talk about being a fan of the Kool-Aid, the team Kool-Aid, but, you know, Wayne must be eating all the food and drinking all the beverage from the Stidham camp because he <laughs> loves that offense this year. That's right. He's actually a paid advertiser for the show. You guys just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't go, Stiddy. So if that's how we figure the Super Bowl is going to turn out, then going into our MVP candidates, I know we all kind of have some dark horse candidates and favorites. My favorite to win it, if I was a betting man and I had to wager my own funds, would be Russell Wilson. I think he's going to have a great year, and he's just an amazing quarterback that I underestimated early in his career, and I won't do again. I think he is probably my favorite for MVP, but my dark horse candidate would be Saquon Barkley. I think he stays healthy all year, and he's a 2,000-yard all-purpose guy. You must hope that the New York Giants end up having a, a decent record then, because huh? not too many MVPs end up with uh, doo-doo teams. I would say 9-7. Not too many running backs become MVPs in this day and age either. But I, I do think it's a solid dark horse choice. Who you got, Sully? Uh, for my dark horse, I actually have Kyler Murray. I'm all in on this bandwagon right now. If I have a second favorite team in the league right now, it's the Arizona Cardinals for sure. I love everything this franchise is doing. And I think Kyler Murray's in for a huge season in his second year. But like Wayne said, if I'm putting my money on somebody right now, it's going to be that bad man, Aaron Rodgers. I think he's my favorite to win it this year. I think he's just going to have a fire lit under him. I like him in the, with the new offense and the new coaching staff there. I, I just think they're going to have a really good year. You like him with that new offense. Sully, they drafted zero receivers. That's okay. They still got Devontae Adams, baby. All right, well, my MVP candidates, uh, I have my favorite being Drew Brees. I have this really being a storybook season for him, winning the regular season MVP and then going off into the Super Bowl against the Chiefs and winning that game as well, and then walking off into the sunset. So I think that would be very storybook. That's my favorite. And my dark horse, and I think it's a dark horse because the guy's not even on his team yet, and that's Dak Prescott. I've talked about how high-powered I think that offense will be and can be, and I think when Dak Prescott signs, he's going to gel with that offense that he's already had so much time with that they added C.D. Lamb, and he's going to put up some superstar numbers beyond what he's put up so far in his career. Yeah, I agree with both of those. I like both those picks. I think it's pretty shocking out of all three of us, nobody mentions Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson for the MVP. I think it's more shocking that we didn't mention Patrick Mahomes, the guy that's the reigning MVP, the guy that I think we could certainly see returning to the Super Bowl. He can have plenty of his MVPs. We see a long career and a lot of success out of this guy. 
I mean, Lamar Jackson's the reigning MVP. He's, he was a unanimous MVP. Touche. With the NFL out of the way, we head into the NBA news. And before we get to the whole NBA possibly coming back, I think the bigger news, because it's already been announced, is that the 2020 Hall of Fame class, which is Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and Tim Duncan, is going to be announced in 2021. And that's all well and good. I'm glad they're postponing it. The thing that pisses me off the most about it, though, is in 2021, you've got Chris Bosh and Paul Pierce, who are pretty much your locks to go in for 2021. And I do not, not want to see Kobe Bryant going with Paul Pierce. Get Paul Pierce the fuck out of there. They should absolutely keep these solid three together and push any others just a year out. All these solid locks that are going to eventually get in, they they owe this to these three. And I think everything in sports and in basketball is going to have to take a step back and specifically due to the virus. I 100% agree, Jesse. That's what I was going to They should not have a class of 2021. This should be their class of 2021, and there just shouldn't be a class of 2020. And these three guys should go in on their own. They shouldn't have to go in with other guys. This class was one of the greatest, most special classes we've ever seen. I mean, all three of these guys are just legends upon legends upon legends. I think it salts their legacy a little to put them in with guys like, and don't get me wrong, I don't think Paul Pierce and Chris Bosh are bad players. They're obviously Hall of Famers. I don't think anyone's going to mention any of them in the same breath we mentioned these three guys, and I think that's just special. I think these three guys we're talking about are all top 20 players in ever, and it's just a special, special class that needs to be recognized as so. And it's a little bittersweet for me. I think I mentioned it in one of the first episodes we did, which is that I was going to get tickets to this induction. I've been watching the tickets, waiting for them to go on sale for about two years now. I said, because I knew that this was the class. I knew it was going to be KG, Duncan, and Kobe. Kobe being my all-time favorite basketball player. My friend Steve, his all-time favorite basketball player is Duncan. So I was going to have the two of us go. I was going to put up 1200 bucks for the two of us to get in to meet and greet Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan which would be worth every nickel and just his passing. It really kind of sucks that I was so, I was really going to pay for the money to go meet him. Yeah. That, his passing is the only thing that puts a heavier damper on the hall of fame induction. The, the only thing that's heavier than the virus right now is his passing. Man, that that's gotta be rough. Wayne. I mean, be so like committed to seeing. It and then this, I mean, I didn't know you were going to the hall of fame induction or planned on it. And things like that. Honestly, you should probably still go. I think it would mean a lot to go. You know, obviously you're not going to get the meet and greet. And I don't know if I'd pay for it. Even for Tim Duncan. Maybe your boy pays for the Tim Duncan side. But man, just to go and see him be inducted after his death with his wife there and children. I honestly think that'd be a pretty big moment, man. Yeah, it might be. I just have to go save it for, you know, something else. My next favorite player, I guess, whoever it is when they get in. But yeah, I guess so basketball is coming back and they've got talks right now. It's going to be played in Orlando at a couple of different facilities. No fans, most likely. And they're going to do a playoff, maybe some regular season games. But the big talk, the idea that I love, the pitched several different ideas for the playoff format and the one that's my favorite is the no conferences just one through 16 the top 16 records get in and they're just going to go los angeles plays the nets in the first round so east versus west right off the bat you don't have to wait to see an eastern conference champ and a western conference champ just top 16 teams i love the idea 
Yeah, the one through 16 is new. It's something that I think that Adam Silver, who is a super innovative guy and commissioner, has been tossing around for a while. So when and if he implements this format, I think it's here to stay. But it's not the one that I love. I think the reasons that I don't like this particular format is that we don't get to see some of those long rivaled history matchups, the, the Pacers, Bulls, those things that, you know, we got to see in the Last Dance documentary that we won't get to see because of the Eastern Conference buildup and then the Western Conference buildup. Also, I think teams like the Milwaukee Bucks are going to cry wolf because of them having to go through the Clippers and then the Lakers if it ends up being that way because that's what it would have to look like in this 1-16 through format and that is just a gauntlet that they would never win. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I think this is the best idea and I think they should adopt this after this season's over. You say you don't get those great matchups, but I mean, you still have that chance to. Like the first round, we'd have Celtic Sixers. I mean, that's a fantastic matchup that everyone would love to see. And then you get Heat Thunder, which we'd never get a chance to see in the regular playoffs. I mean, things like that is just amazing. And then second round, I mean, you talk about the Bucks got to go through Clippers. Shit, the Clippers would have to get through the Celtics or the Sixers in the second round, which we would never get to see that matchup. That's arguably a finals matchup that we're getting to see in the second round of this playoffs. I mean, that shit's amazing. And that's why you watch these playoffs. I think this is just a, such a win. It's such a great idea. I cannot wait for this if this is what happens. I don't like that you two are agreeing. You'll never see me side with Wayne usually. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a rare sight, so that's why I don't like it happening right now. <laughs> I do see the benefits of it. I see the benefit of taking this opportunity during the pandemic to kind of scrap what previously was happening with the playoff format and take something that Adam Silver was rolling around in the idea of a play-in tournament or an in-season tournament during the All-Star break. You know, he's been, he's a very innovative guy. And he's been thinking of things that will bring in more viewership and make things and keep things exciting. So there are benefits to the 1 through 16. And I think that this is probably the heavy favorite to end up happening. Again, I don't like that you two agree to this. I think there are two other formats that I've heard, one that I don't like at all and one that I really do like. The one that I don't like at all is let all 30 teams in. I do like that one. I like it because we talked about this before where it was like, if they do it as a one game playoff, straight up, no best of three, unless you want to do the championship best of three, that's fine. But all of them are just one game. You, you one and done. So you get a hot hand. You could have that 16 seed beat a one just because they got hot for one night. I love that. I love the March madness feel to the NBA. And I know it kind of confuses things and mucks it up with the lottery and all that. But the idea of having 30 teams, one and done with a three game best of three championship. I'm all in on that, too. Golden State could literally run the table and win the championship if everybody's healthy at this point. See, but at this point, like, why would Golden State want to do that? Well, because it's all about winning championships. I mean, what do they care if they get the first overall pick? I mean, I understand you can build on that for the rest of the year. And like I said, I don't know what the repercussions of the drafts would be. If they finish with the worst record, do they still get put into the lottery? Or because they win the championship, don't they? It really mucks things up a little bit. I think that's the problem with it is I think it mucked things too much up with the lottery because the worst overall team right now, Golden State, regardless of what you think of the the goal is to win the championship, I mean, that team wants that number one pick more than anything right now, and it's a huge value asset. And I mean, honestly, I think you'd see a lot more tanking in that instance. I don't know. I think it'd be rough. I don't, I don't like that format at all. I like the idea of like a one-game playoff format, but not that deep. I just don't like that deep. 
Yeah, I'd like to let the NCAA March Madness stay unique. There are a lot of bad things about the NCAA, and that March Madness bracket that they have is unique and fantastic. So let's let them stay unique. The other format that I do really like that I think may draw some ire from you guys is the World Cup group stage format, where you take 20 teams, which is more than we would normally have. Again, we're going to scrap what was happening in the past. We're going to start from scratch and have a group stage where you got four different groups of five teams. You end up having two winners out of those five groups. Moving on, boom, there's your second round. But you get exciting new matchups. You get a, a format that the entire world is already aware of and excited about in terms of football. And Adam Silver wants to continue to make this a worldwide game. So I think that the group stage or the grouping format, I think we could definitely go far. That is, ew, I, I hate that idea. You're a soccer fan, Sully. Yeah, and I'm a soccer fan. I love the round-robin tournament and how it works in soccer because I, I believe the home-and-homes are important and things like that. But in this instance, you're not playing a home-and-home. You'd have to play two games against each team, and it just gets so convoluted and crazy. Goal differential comes into play in soccer. So what, does point differential come into play here and, and things like that? I just think there's too much that goes into it. I mean, the idea sounds nice, but once you go further deep into it and, and really look at like the semantics of it all, I don't think it can actually play out and work like logistically. Point differential has been something that they've implemented and used during the summer league games already. So they're aware of that being added in and it could certainly be added in a playoff format as well, where you, know, you really need to try hard every quarter and not just in that last quarter. So I still think it could be very exciting. Again, I think the 1-16 through 16 format is the one that the NBA GMs and the Players Association will end up agreeing to. But maybe an alternative question for you guys is, do we just start with the playoffs right away? Or are there going to be any games left over from the regular season to let these players warm up at all? Are they just going to start the playoffs cold and provide us with their first look at basketball being rickety and, and maybe not something that is a super appealing? Well, that's the benefit of that round-robin format, right, is if you're going to do regular season games and give them a chance to shake off the rust, then that round-robin format kind of gives them that ability to do that. They're playing in this round-robin. The only downside to it, though, is that, one, it's not all 30 teams in there. So you got 10 teams who you say, sorry, you can't participate. Your season is actually over. And two... The 10 teams that would probably prefer to have those picks as that. Sure, yeah. And then the second problem with it, though, is that you've got these teams shaking off the rust, but they're not really exhibition games. These games matter. So you're shaking off the rust that it could oust you from the playoffs. Yeah, but I think we're going to get that in any circumstance. Damian Lillard has come out and said, you know, he's not playing senseless games. You know, he's not going to play warm-up games for other fucking teams. And I think a lot of players are going to feel that way. A lot of the players that aren't have the ability to make the playoffs kind of thing. So I don't know. You know, obviously, I don't think we're going to find a perfect situation. We're going to have to find one that works best for everybody. But I'm just really excited that fucking sports is back. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you bring up Damian Lillard, the reason he's upset is the teams like the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, and even the Spurs, you know, with the amount of games that the regular season did have left, they had an opportunity to get to that eight seed. And is it their fault that they didn't get to that sooner before this pandemic happened? I guess you could go ahead and state it that way. But the Grizzlies, who's currently sitting that eight seed, they had a tough schedule remaining, and so they kind of get a gift of the pandemic, giving them that eight seed. So that's why I think some teams have a gripe about not being involved at all when they really did have a serious chance of making a run into the playoffs and maybe a potential deep run. 
Yeah, I mean, you can't make everybody happy. And it's just one of those situations where you just have to do what you have to do. I mean, imagine if the NBA only allowed one player to get into the Hall of Fame every year. And this year you got KG, Duncan, and Kobe. Like, there's going to be two guys who deserve to be there that aren't in there because of that rule. I know that rule doesn't exist, but I'm just using that as, a, you know, uh, an example for a hypothetical. So same thing here with the NBA. You can't make everybody happy. Somebody's going to get left out no matter what they do. And it does suck, but it is what it is, and you just got to do it. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's unfortunately nobody's going to not everybody's going to be happy. You know, this is a extenuating circumstance. You know, we've never had something happen like this. So people are just going to have to adapt. There's going to be a lot of swallowing of pride because there's also a lot of money being lost. Based on the formats, I again, just basing mine, I did a bracket for the one through 16 format, which I think is what they're going to end up going with. I have uh, the Lakers and the Clippers playing each other in the finals and LeBron James getting another ring. Wow, would Los Angeles love that as a city? Think of all the eyeballs that would be on that matchup. I think a lot of people had them pegged as a Western Conference matchup. I certainly had that pegged for me earlier on in the podcast sphere here. I know Wayne had asked me that when we had first started this whole project. So funny that we're kind of being able to circle back here and talk about this being a finals matchup. In that proposal, Wayne, I would certainly have the Lakers winning and I would have to see LeBron James getting another championship trophy. And God, would that suck. I think in in either case, the Lakers are going to win. I do think this COVID situation really, really, really helps them. Getting a a healthy, fresh LeBron and a healthy, fresh Anthony Davis is going to be huge for them. I actually have the Bucks and the Lakers, and I know it's chalk-chalk, but I have the Clippers losing to the Sixers in the second round. You know, I think that's where my shock comes for for most folks. So I think the Bucks and the the Lakers get there, and, and I just think the Lakers are just too much. We talk about this COVID situation having such a shock to the sports world and especially specifically to the NBA playoffs. Is there going to be an asterisk next to whoever does end up winning this championship, boys? There will not. And there shouldn't be. And there should never be asterisks in any sport whatsoever for any reason. I don't think there was an asterisk next to the 99 Spurs when they won a shortened season championship. There shouldn't be one in this championship. There shouldn't be one next to Barry Bonds. No asterisks. Get them out. I'm a little in the middle with this. I don't like asterisks for the most part, like shortened seasoned and things like that. I don't. I'll tell you this, though. If there was ever going to be an asterisk, it should be for those cheating fuck Houston Astros who won that World Series with a with a blatant, blatant cheating. I think I think that might deserve one. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't really agree with them. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle there. But for this instance, I, I, hell no, I don't think there should be one. You guys are agreeing again? I disagree with the Astros take. <laughs> Not entirely. Yeah, he doesn't think the Astros should should have an asterisk but because he thinks they didn't cheat. But, you know, obviously they did. And so I think their whole title should be stripped if we're being Well, it's honest. not that they didn't cheat. I do think that they cheated. I just don't think that their cheating is that big of a deal that it would require an asterisk. It was minor. We talked about earlier in the show that... RTF Sports has branched out into the blogosphere, and we're getting blogs out there. I know I've done a few of them, trying to keep it more human interest type stories, trying to stay away from the whole hot button issues. But one of the people we're bringing on now is Brandon Combs, new to RTF Sports uh, in the blogging department, is writing a series of blogs about the best players to wear each uniform number. His first one, which was zero through five, drew the ire of many when now, Brandon, you'd mentioned to me before you submitted it even, you said, you said hey, people are going to have a problem with number five. And I said, oh, did you go with Pujols? Because I think the no-brainer is DiMaggio. And you didn't go with either of them. So let us know what you think. DiMaggio, Pujols, George Brett, Brooks Robinson, Johnny Bench, Jeff Bagwell, they're, they're all great players. All of them are great. But Nomar was in a league of his own. Nomar 
was defensively better than any shortstop I have ever watched play the game, probably up until Javi Baez came into the league. Nomar, I think offensively, if you look at the the numbers, granted, some numbers are better, some numbers are close, but Nomar was just as good as these guys offensively, and defensively, he was heads above all of them. I struggle to find what you consider as just as close with them offensively. Joe DiMaggio has, and granted, these are roughly the same amount of years. Nomar Garciaparo played 14 years. Joe DiMaggio played 13 years, in which he lost his three probably best years to a war. He still out-hits Nomar Garciaparo by over 500 hits. He has more doubles than Nomar Garciaparo by 30 more doubles. He has more triples by 85 more triples. He has more home runs by, God, what's the amount? We've got 50% more home runs and I think uh, 50% more RBIs. I I mean, the numbers are just staggering. Meanwhile, he also plays a premier defensive position at an extremely high level. Now, I I don't discount everything you say about Nomar Garciaparra. I do think he's a very good player. I I think he's right on that cusp of like, great, but I I just don't think he's quite there just because of the injury bugs. But I mean, he had two outlier seasons where he hit 357 and 372. After that, can anybody guess what his next highest average is? 308. Roughly, 320. So the guy hit 30 points less every other season. And, And beyond that, it was 308, which is another 20 points less. So I mean, Outside of two outlier seasons, he really wasn't that great offensively. His OPS is 100 points less than Joe DiMaggio. I just, I, I really struggle to see how Nomar is better than Joe. So your argument is that you're saying that Joe, in the middle of his prime, yes, he lost the three years to go into war and serve in the country, and he, he's an American hero and, and great. I mean, if you look at Nomar Garciaparra, Nomar Garciaparra lost half of his career due to injury. So I went back and I looked at their best seasons, okay? So if I took Joe DiMaggio's best statistical season across the board, not just like best home runs or best hits, his best statistical season, he had 215 hits, 35 doubles, 15 triples, 46 home runs, and he hit 346, okay? So Nomar's best statistical year all across the board. He had 209 hits. That's only six less than DiMaggio. He had more doubles than DiMaggio in his best year. He had only four less triples than DiMaggio in his best year. And he did hit 40 points less, but he also had 74 less at-bats than Joe DiMaggio did in those two years. Fielding-wise, I mean, it's not even close. DiMaggio's best defensive year he had 997 phenomenal fielding percentage he had only 319 chances nomar's best defensive year say his best defensive year was probably when he played first base obviously with the dodgers because you get so many chances he had a 1124 chances that year and had a 996 so when you sit there and you look at statistically statistically speaking i i mean i don't know how you can say that dimaggio's defensive position is harder than nomar's defensive position with nomar's defensive position is the hardest position on the field to play defensively. But there are premier positions on the field. I mean, if you want to go there, then Johnny Bench. I mean, Brooks Robinson. I mean, Johnny Bench is arguably the best defensive catcher of all time, and catcher's arguably the most important defensive position on the field. So, I I mean, like, if you want to go that argument, then it's there. I I just... Brooks Robinson isn't even in this conversation. I mean, you could put DiMaggio and Pujols and and Nomar on a different level than you can put, like, a guy like Brooks Robinson or even George Brett. Robinson never even hit 30 home runs in a season. His best average that he ever posted was 317. His best fielding percentage was a 980. He never approached even 600 chances in his 
season when Nomar averaged 667 attempts for his career. I mean, they're they're playing year. in different eras. One's getting the ball hit a lot more. Also, what's Nomar's error rate? Let's be real here. Right, and Nomar's error rate is so high. You know why it's so high? Because he gets to balls that no other human being ever had the chance to. He was a better shortstop than even Jeter was. Those he, aren't considered he, oh, errors. Yes, they are considered errors, but he's making errors on plays that no other guys could get to. Those guys can't get to the ball, so they can't make the errors on the same play. Jeter couldn't get to half the balls that Nomar ever got to. Uh, you, you get you take guys like even in, in his own era, you take Jeter, Nomar, and A-Rod, the three premier defensive shortstops of that era, and Nomar is better than all three of them, and there are plays that he makes that these other two guys couldn't even get to. So that's why statistically they are better because you look at the numbers and they are better, but th that doesn't show the whole thing. So wait, so your argument is that he gets to a ball that another player can't get to and then makes a bad play and commits an error, and that's a good thing in your book? Okay, so if he gets to a ball that nobody else can get to, he's trying to make a play. I'd much rather have a guy who can get to a ball and care. try to make something happen. I'd rather not happen. a negative play that's an error. I'd rather have him try to make a play on something that nobody else could get to than to just let the ball go through. I, I, I don't know. Jeter made a career out of that. That's why Jeter was so great defensively, and that's why Nomar d didn't really win any gold gloves. Exactly. That's my other point. The guy's got no gold gloves. And again, I'm not saying he was bad defensively, but there's no way his defensive merit makes up for what he's lacking offensively against Joe. You mentioned he's got his three years that he lost to injury, and he still has worse numbers than Joe DiMaggio. If Joe DiMaggio would have had his other three numbers, he'd have doubled Nomar's numbers. Before Nomar got hurt, and he got hurt in that 2001 season, he had hit 241 his rookie year, which he only played 24 games. Then he comes out, he hits 306, 323, 357, 372, and his average is just continuously climbing, and then he gets hurt. And that is when he starts to decline because he's starting to have all these, these injury issues. Nomar was headed to be probably, if, if we have this conversation and Nomar stays healthy, this isn't even a question. But he, di he didn't, and that's why it is, and that's why you can't have him here. Okay, so so then you can't come at me with the demise. Well, he still put up the numbers. Saying, he well, still he has better numbers, three even though he missed the years. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he has better numbers and missed three prime years. I'll, yes, I give you the fact that he's got the better numbers on paper offensively. So, so again, that's just my point. So I, I guess what we're at is is I don't think his defensive ability is enough to outweigh his overall lack of offensive numbers, MVPs, awards in general that Joe DiMaggio has in his mantle. And and that's not taking anything away from Nomar Garcia Para. I just don't see the argument if this is peak then maybe if this is something like that but like i mean you're making my argument for me when you say he fell off with injuries so let me ask you a question so you go you go by statistics you go by numbers you go by everything that you have on paper right in front of you okay so let me ask you a question is barry bonds better than babe ruth yes Okay. All right. So then you so you strictly go just by on numbers on paper what's no, in no, front no. of you. No, I think Babe Bonds is better than Babe Ruth because I, I I so I have a different opinion on Babe Ruth because I have a sort of a, a tainted opinion if uh, if you didn't play against African Americans and the elite players. 
So I just don't know what Babe Ruth's numbers would have been in a nutshell. I think Barry Bonds is the best hitter of all time. That's Again, that's not taking away from anything about Babe Ruth. I just think Barry Bonds is the best hitter of all time. And that's not like pure numbers-wise, because Babe Ruth's OPS and slugging percentage and things like that are just simply off the charts. They're numbers that'll never be hit again. But again, it's for me, It's I don't think the defensive ability makes up for the severe lack of, of offensive numbers. That's all. And, and I think that's where we get the, the disagreement. I think when I was writing this article, in my head, I'm thinking, all right, who are the best players to everywhere each number? I didn't want to just go by statistics and what I saw on paper. There are a lot of guys that I've watched that I think are, are heads and tails better than, than a lot of guys. Like, I think right now I really wanted to at number nine. I ended up not doing it just because I don't think you can right now at this point. But I really wanted to put Javier Baez in that slot over Ted Williams because I think oh Ted God. I think Ted Williams you're, you're a Cubs fan too though to be fair folks we're, we're right fan. right I am a Cubs fan and I watch Javi Baez <laughs> like like you wouldn't believe but this kid is heads above anybody defense I, he's better than Nomar defensively the guy his hands are sick the way he hits the ball and I don't think Ted Williams was the greatest hitter like everybody goes out and, and likes to proclaim he was a he was a great hitter he was a great ball player but he wasn't everything that Boston fans would want you to believe that he is. And, and then you go down, uh, even uh, back to the number five argument. I mean, you people were coming at me with, with George Brett and Robinson and Bench and Bagwell. And, I mean, if you want to just go by numbers, go ahead and look them up. None of those guys are even – they're well, not Nomar. I would throw out there – I mean, let me ask you this. So you say – it sounds like you're going off of in their best, at, at their absolute best, Nomar Garcia-Para's best is better than Joe DiMaggio's best. Is, is that kind of the direction we're going? If I have all these guys in their prime and I'm doing a draft and I'm taking guys and I have Nomar on the board and I have DiMaggio on the board in their peak healthy, I'm taking Nomar over DiMaggio. So my question would be then best third baseman of all time is Ken Caminiti. Uh, no. <laughs> well, he's an MVP, 40 home runs, a great defensive goal glover at, at his peak. Well, right. But you all, you've also got so many of those guys that come along that are the same thing. I mean, you could have gone with guys like Ron Santo. I mean, there are guys that you don't, you've never even heard of that were just great Dale third Murphy. basemen. Dude, I mean, there's all sorts of them. Well, Dale Murphy at his best had 229 or something like that. The thing that actually blew my mind a little bit early on is you mentioned that Nomar Garciaparra is the best defensive shortstop you've ever seen. Absolutely. As a Cubs fan, you never saw Ozzie Smith play a game? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You think Nomar's a better defensive player than Ozzie Smith? Yes, 100%. Wow. The other one I want to get into is you got Lou Brock over Mike Schmidt. <laughs> I do. I do. You got to explain that one to me, man. So, like, I, I mean, look, I mean, Lou Brock was Lou Brock was phenomenal. He was another guy that, that people just didn't really – he never really got the credit and the accolades that he deserves. Lou Brock was just in, in a league of his own. Mike Schmidt was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I grew up hating Mike Schmidt because he used to pound the crap out of my Cubs. But to me, Lou Brock is, is the guy there. Mike Schmidt's career slugging percentage is 527. Just to put, I mean, and 380 on base percentage, career. That's, I mean, I just, I mean, that's insane. But hey, you know, to each his own. He's got a 200-point better OPS. No big deal. And see, that's the great thing about this game and about these four. I mean, there's so many nuances. Like We got into the argument the other day uh, on Facebook when people started reading this, and, th and then they started coming at to me about uh, how the home run is the greatest you know, statistical thing that you can have. And to me, if, if, that's, if that's something that you actually believe, then you just don't know this game the way that 
people who love this game know this game because the home run while yes it's great it's fun to watch it's great for fans it's it's everything that we want to see on a walk off you want to see the bat flip and all that other stuff there's just times where i'd rather see a single or a double or or a guy draw a walk or or a squeeze play i mean there's just there's so many other things that could go into this game where just a home run i mean while yes it's fun and, and obviously chicks dig the long ball or whatever they used to say back in the 90s the home run is not the best statistical thing you can do offensively it's just not i mean it just is to be plain and simple, the, the object of the game is to score runs. A home run puts a run on the board immediately. That's literally the best thing that can happen offensively. Now, if you want to get into semantics and get into a seventh inning situation where a guy's a lefty and blah, 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 like, that's not what we're talking about. The best thing that can happen when a batter's up is to hit a home run. Plain and simple. Okay, that's the so, best thing that see, can happen. But see, you can't say the best thing that can happen is for a guy to hit a home run and not put a scenario in there. If I'm down by four runs in the bottom of the ninth inning and I've got my three, four, five hitters up or come, uh, let's say two, three, four, five. Okay. So if you go with your best lineup, where do your best hitters hit three, four, five, right? I mean, maybe the game's a little bit different now, but, but traditionally that's where your best hitters hit are three, four, five, your best hitters, your three hitter, your, your two power hitters are your four and your five to clean up after them. Okay. So if my two guy is leading off the inning, I want him to get on base. I don't want him to hit a home run if I'm down by four. I want him. I want base runners on ahead of my four and five guys so that they can have a chance to go ahead and tie this game up. But getting a home run is still the best thing because what you have to do is if you're going to say that your four or five hitter hits a home run and drives that guy who got a walk in, then you have to assume he hit a home run in every scenario. So if your first guy hits a home run and your second guy hits a home run and your third guy, then it doesn't matter. They're all going to score regardless. So your your argument is you want that guy to hit a home run to have the next guy hit a home run to have that. How many teams in, in Major League history have gone back to back to back to back? Th- that's not the – how many teams in Major League history have, have gone walk, walk, home run, walk up? Like, you know what I'm saying? That I happens, bet you I could like, name more of that than back to back to back. Yeah, but it's it's. Well, I would say my only contention would be that if you are trying to rally, I would think that the best scenario would be to get nothing but doubles because you got a guy on second, the catcher has to go to a different sign indicator, the pitcher has to pitch from the stretch, and he has to throw more balls over the plate for the hitter. So I would say that doubles are the most you know ideal outcome if you could go back to back to back doubles if you're trying to start a rally. Right, and that was another reason that went back into my my Lou Brock over Mike Schmidt. I think that was my my leading factor into Lou Brock over Mike Schmidt is that Lou Brock actually eclipsed the 3,000 hit mark, and Mike Schmidt did not. I mean, Lou Brock was a phenomenal baseball player. He's a phenomenal defensive baseball player. He he was all around a better baseball player than Mike Schmidt, And, and it's close. Don't get me wrong, it's close. But Lou Brock was was a total package. And Joe DiMaggio wasn't though, right? No, Joe DiMaggio. You're <laughs> acting like I'm saying Joe DiMaggio was a was a was was a bench player if he's playing on a team with with Nomar. That's that's not the case. The name Joe DiMaggio is why everybody wants to go out and hammer him. If we watched Joe DiMaggio play at the same time that we watched Nomar play, you might have a different opinion. That's why I brought up the Barry Bonds thing. A lot of people, you're one of the few. I actually agree with you with the with the Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth thing. I think they are a one in one A. I don't think you can go wrong. Whoever you decide is better than the other. But that's why I bring it up is because a lot of people will tell, oh, Babe Ruth, because of the name. The name Joe DiMaggio, the name this. Uh, Joe DiMaggio was great. Joe DiMaggio was amazing. I, you can't go wrong with Joe DiMaggio. But all around, I think that Nomar 
if had he stayed healthy, would have had the same numbers in the end, and he would have been right there with Joe DiMaggio. And defensively, he would have put him away. I mean, it, would, it wouldn't have even been close. Well, if I had a nine-inch cock, I would be banging fucking <laughs> <laughs> Giselle Bunchen right so, now. So did you just but, say on the podcast that you have a small dick? Uh, I mean, I'm Jewish, man. It is what it is, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Irish, but hey, we're huge in Asia. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess that kind of clears up five for now. I know we've got uh, you're going to be putting out a lot more of these, and obviously, I want people to kind of go to the blog page and read all of your numbers and all of your jerseys and uh, all the blogs in general. Uh, I appreciate appreciate having you come on and uh, debate with Dan, and I'm sure that we're going to have you on again because it seems like you, you like a little bit of that sensational media. You know what? I, I love debating sports, so I would uh, we could have a 12-hour you know live podcast at some point if you want. We could just talk sports all day. Well, it was nice to have you on, man. I really appreciate it. You, I mean, the the stuff's actually well written. You know, I do enjoy it. You know, it's good stuff. If you guys check out the po- or check out the blog, you know, it, it actually is a decent blog. Even if you you know do disagree with his ridiculous takes, <laughs> you know, you, you can go check them out and give them a read because they're still worth the read. And again, man, we appreciate you having on, or having you on. You know, it was it was a good debate. I really I really did have a good time. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. So that's pretty much the show. We wrapped it up, and hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to the show. Hopefully you visit RTF Sports and continue to vote for us for the next couple of days. Check out the blogs while you're on there, and let us know what you think. Comment at the bottom if you think they suck. Say they suck. I definitely love negative criticism. I know we enjoy it for the podcast as well because this is going to help us improve. But I definitely love everybody listening and voting for us and taking the time to be fans of Infinity Sports. Yeah, guys and gals, we really appreciate every bit of support you've given us so far. Continue to vote for us on every platform that you do hear us. There's a way for you to show your support by leaving us comments. You can rate us, you can review us, and you can share us. So please do continue to do your part. We really appreciate it. Yeah, again, we just want to reiterate reiterate the appreciation we have for everyone who, who actually listens to us and supports our show. You know, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You know, obviously get out there and check those blogs out. Rate, review, comment. Like Wayne said, if you can't tell, I, th- I think Wayne's pretty confident in himself. So get out there and, and hit him with those negative comments and, and hopefully bring him down a bit, bring him back to earth. You know, bring us all back down to earth. Don't let us get too cocky here. So, uh, you know, give us your comments, give us your reviews, and thank you again for listening. All right, what do you say, Kenny? Are we done or what? Yeah.